Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, this is Heather Lingle with NCAT. In this episode, Rex Dufour, Director of NCAT's Western Regional Office in Davis, California, talks with Omar Rodriguez, Sustainable Agriculture Specialist with NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program, about working with California farmers to establish hedgerows. Hedgerows provide many benefits to farms in addition to adding beauty. They play an important role in pest management and help prevent erosion, as well as create visual and dust barriers. Omar and Rex also discuss preparing the ground for planting a hedgerow and what kinds of plants are commonly used. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Omar Rodriguez, Sustainable Ag Specialist for the National Center for Appropriate Technology here in California. I'm sitting here with Rex Dufour, um, and the topic of the day is hedgerows. Hi, Rex. Hi, um, I am also a Sustainable Ag Specialist and manage the California office for the National Center for Appropriate Technology, and I've been working for NCAT for almost a quarter century. Well, it's a good long while. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering, how did you first become involved with hedgerows? Well, I married into a farm family, and so back in the late 1990s, um, I found that my brother-in-law had planted a hedgerow at, in collaboration with a woman named Rachel Long, who's a UC Cooperative Extension and actually kind of a matriarch of hedgerows here in California. And um, I was fascinated by that because my background is in IPM. And uh, I went to visit um, our family farm. I was living in Arkansas at the time. And I was fascinated by the idea of hedgerows. Although, actually, my first involvement was... um, Right after my master's in IPM from UC Riverside, um, I was hired by a, a nonprofit uh, environmental communications corps back in the early 80s and um, ran into Bob Bug, who had this crazy idea of actually planting native perennials on farms to provide habitat for beneficial insects. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of a crazy idea. Because um, the IPM I was taught at UC Riverside didn't mention anything about habitat for beneficials. And so this was a, a really important missing component of, of just IPM. Wow. So it's my understanding that you've worked a lot with farmers. I'm, I'm wondering how you go about planning a hedgerow with a farmer and what steps are involved. Okay. Well, for the audience that doesn't understand, especially on the eastern coast, perhaps uh, hedgerows aren't as popular as they are out here on the in the west. Um, hedgerows are kind of linear plantings of of generally native perennials or annuals, and um, they're planted on any place where the farmer wants them. And so when I talk to a farmer, 
the first thing I do, there's kind of four or five different steps. You know, I go out and uh, visit with a farmer, talk to them about their system. Um, and the site visit is really important because that's when the farmer and I talk about what the farmer's needs are with respect to the hedgerow, where he thinks or she thinks uh, a hedgerow might be put. And I'll walk the property with them and and uh, kind of analyze the situation. But generally, hedgerows are good to put in places that aren't being used uh, for farming or, you know, like borders along roads, um, property, borderlines. And they serve a number of functions. You know, they can provide pollinator habitat. They can provide uh, parasite and predator habitat. Uh, there's research that shows that compared to just unmanaged weedy areas, that there are much uh, fewer um, pests that live in native perennials than live in kind of unmanaged weedy areas. So um, why not? instead of trying to manage these weedy areas using herbicides, why not do something positive for the farm? And so I try and introduce all this information to the grower, you know, asking, you know, like, uh, which directions are your winds? Do you have problems with um, windfall? You know, uh, some perennial orchardists, uh, have problems with wind and, and knocking fruit off the tree. Um, so they're definitely multifunctional. They can prevent erosion, uh, act as a dust barrier. Uh, they can also act as kind of a visual screen and uh, many other functions. And last but not least, um, they actually beautify a property. And I think that's an underrated value in our agricultural system. So given your experience with IPM and biodiversity, do you look for anything in particular on the actual farms during these site visits? Well, aside from the location, um, and, you know, understanding the crop, you know, um, a diversified vegetable grower may want a different type of hedgerow than um, an almond grower or a walnut grower or, you know, somebody that's working with perennial crops. So I tend to look for opportunities and, you know, it doesn't have to be this long linear hedgerow. Um, I think there's opportunities around... Um, around pumps, um, what I call kind of biodiversity islands. You know, if you have an irrigation system that has a kind of a, um, uh, a pump location or uh, an irrigation kind of uh, furrow, you know, maybe just plant it around that pump um, and just look for opportunities to increase habitat and reduce the work that uh, farmers may have to go if there wasn't um, if there weren't plants planted there um, for beneficial habitat. 
Hmm. So in preparing a site to plant a hedgerow, what kind of, what's the process? What's involved? Well, yeah, after I talk with a farmer, um, we talk about, you know, the location, the length of the hedgerow. Um, we need to think about the types of plants. Uh, important considerations, though, after the site visit, I, I warn the farmer that, you know, you need to prep the site. You need to prepare the site for the hedgerow. You want to reduce um, weed competition. So kind of the three main enemies of, of successful hedgerow implementation are uh, weeds, uh, lack of irrigation, or the timing of irrigation, and then what I call uh, weed whacker blight, you know, because a lot of uh, workers, uh, if you don't mark the plants and if they're not delineated carefully, um, folks that are going about mowing these areas or, or managing these areas might not know that there's actually a, they're not supposed to knock down a particular plant. So they need to be well marked and, and delineated. And so I talk about how are you going to manage weeds with a farmer? And there's a couple different approaches of managing weeds in the hedgerow. But first, get that area pretty clean. Uh, you can do uh, chemical cleaning, you know, like uh, spray herbicides. That's one approach for conventional growers. Uh, for organic growers, they can... Um, Sometimes if they have enough time, you can solarize an area. That works very well in the Central Valley in California, uh, putting down plastic sheets, and that really reduces the weed population. Or you can till it, or, you know, uh, there's different combinations. Um, you can put down uh, weed cloth as well. But there's pros and cons in all of these approaches, Um the weed cloth is very effective and um, doesn't allow weeds to compete with the uh, growing hedgerow, but also at the same time, it doesn't allow the hedgerow to reseed itself and spread. I mean, these are native perennials, so they're always going to be there once they're established, but they drop seeds every year and with a plastic or a, or a, a weed cover on the ground, uh, there's just no soil for those seeds to access. So there's that kind of reduces the spread, uh, the natural spread of these um, be uh, beneficial habitat plants. And also it prevents access uh, by native bees to the soil underneath the hedgerow. And this is an important uh, part of hedgerow habitat because on farms, you know, lot, most farms do a fair amount of tillage. Uh, most native bees, uh, a large majority, 75, maybe 80% of native bees are ground nesters and they need undisturbed ground to uh, nest in. And so this hedgerow provides that, uh, that resource for the bees. And if you have a, a weed cover over the ground, that will not you know, the bees won't be able to access the soil. Um, a moment ago, you mentioned um, 
the headdress includes certain types of plants. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, what those, what types of plants are included and how you decide um, which plants will go into a particular hedgerow. Yeah. Well, there's, um, there's several resources uh, I access and just through experience, um, I try and stick with native perennials because uh, they're adapted to this climate, but um, I don't have any qualms about, you know, planting some rosemary or other Mediterranean adapted kinds of plants that aren't native to California, but uh, do provide good bee habitat. Um, what I try and do is design these hedgerows for structural diversity, uh, because that enhances the types of insects that, uh, and the variety of insects that um, come to these, as well as the birds, but also flower um, diversity, flower structure diversity, because, you know, very small flowers like uh, yarrow, um, elderberry, for example, uh, those are easily accessible to the smaller um, parasites, uh, parasitic wasps, and so they can access nectar uh, from those uh, broad, very tiny multi-flower plants. So um, that's one aspect. Um, flower flowering time diversity is also important, meaning, you know, when these plants flower, because what you want to have ideally is habitat for native uh, parasites, predators, and pollinators throughout the year. And that means nectar and pollen resources throughout the year. So trying to design something that has, that is flowering, that one of those species is flowering throughout the year is um, is a good way to go. Um, are there any considerations for disease or disease transmission um, when planting these types of hedgerows? Yes. Um, you, you want to make sure you're not planting something that will provide habitat for some uh, agronomic crop pest. And, or horticultural crop pests. So, for example, um, toyon, uh, also known as Christmas berry, is a popular native perennial, but it also uh, carries, is a host for fire blight. So, if somebody has an apple orchard or pear orchard, uh, I would discourage them from planting toyon because toyon can host fire blight and then spread it to uh, pears and apples, which are both uh, susceptible to that bacterial disease. Going along with this pest uh, theme, what about um, um, hedgerows acting as kind of rodent highways? Well, you know, hedgerows, I'm a real fan of hedgerows. Uh, they're, but it's an ecological approach to pest management. And so you're going, you know, there's no silver bullet uh, with hedgerows or kind of any other ecological approach. So when you kind of build a hedgerow, 
Um, there's a few pests that will come in with the hedgerow. Uh, some ground squirrel will find that um, habitat friendly. Uh, part of that kind of ameliorating that approach is is to provide, you know, raptor perches and owl boxes for um, to perf- to kind of supplement the biodiversity that the hedgerows bring in. But also I've seen hawks uh, hanging out in hedgerow uh, bushes and, and trees. They use those as perches as well. So um, it's not a perfect solution. You want to um, try and be be aware that, yeah, it might bring in some ground squirrels, but I think the benefits uh, far outweigh uh, kind of the, the costs as far as that goes. And also, you know, deer use uh, hedgerows as kind of a, as a, not a highway, but um, they feel more comfortable kind of walking along a hedgerow. I've seen Ceanothus or California lilac uh, can be pretty heavily browsed by deer, but um, they're not generally a huge problem. But just farmers need to be aware that, you know, when you plant it, they will come. That they meaning pollinators, parasites, and predators, the good guys, but a few um, pests or potential pests will be coming in as well. Yeah, it seems like a multi-tiered approach to biodiversity. Um, If a farmer is interested in... um, learning more about hedgerows or maybe even planting one on their property. I was wondering if you have any resources, financial or informational that you could um, suggest. Yeah, there's, there's several good resources out there. Um, ATRA has a, a, a couple resources. Uh, you and I worked on a hedgerow publication together um, that, kind of shows pictures and, and uh, discusses briefly about hedgerow species and kind of when they bloom, how big they are, and kind of you can get a visual of what they look like. Um, Kath and Sam Earnshaw, who's a friend of mine, uh, put out an excellent resource guide. Um, Hedgerows and Farmscaping for California Agriculture, a resource guide for farmers. It's a second edition. It's a really good uh, publication. And also Xerxes um, has also put out a a pretty good uh, resource book uh, about um, kind of planting beneficial habitat. There are financial resources out there. NRCS, USDA, it's an agency of USDA, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, actually has a practice uh, for planting hedgerows. It's Hedgerows 422, and they'll provide uh, financial incentives for growers to plant hedgerows. And the state of California now has stepped into um, this area, and also uh, through their Healthy Soils Initiative, uh, they provide cost share for planting, for growers to plant a hedgerow. Um, So there are both informational resources and uh, financial resources out there um, available to farmers. Um, Yeah, do you just have any other thoughts about hedgerows that we haven't touched on? 
Well, a lot of farmers, I mean, you know, farmers are business people. And so, you know, some farmers will plant hedgerows just because they feel it's a, it's a good thing for their uh, farm's ecology and particularly organic farmers, you know, you have to practice prevention. So you want to have habitat out there that supplies, um, nectar and pollen for the good guys. Uh, but farmers are interested on return on investment. And I think, um, there's an interesting study that was done, uh, just a couple years ago. Um, Rachel Long was involved in this, but the lead, uh, was Mirandin, L.A. Mirandin. Um, and they looked at the return on investment, um, in different kinds of scenarios, um, with, if you include pollination services and avoidant, you know, and pest management services, and with say a 50% cost share uh, from NRCS, the return on investment of putting in a hedgerow can be as little as um, three, four years. Uh, if you don't have the NRCS cost share, uh, that return on investment will perhaps um, be a bit, a bit longer. But these are just looking at pollination services and um, pest management services. It doesn't talk about uh, the hedgerows acting as dust barriers and, and some of the more subtle interactions that uh, the hedgerows provide, including beauty, for one. And I, I should add a little bit about um, our experience with hedgerows. And, and here in California, there's a lot of almonds uh, being planted and we've um, worked with some almond growers and planted hedgerows in almond orchards, you know, right on the border of an almond orchard. And uh, one particular grower said that uh, his beekeeper was so pleased with the health of his bees um, in the almond orchard. And, and it should be mentioned that about 85 to maybe 90% of all commercial hives in the U.S. come to California for almond bloom. So there's a huge amount of uh, beehives in California during this time of year. Um, and I'm speaking to you in early February of 2019. And um, the pollination costs for beehives is between $150 and $200 per hive. And you need two hives per acre for adequate pollination. And I think um, this grower got a discount on the cost of the pollination services from his, uh, from the person he was, or the business he was renting the beehives from because the bees came out healthier out of the almond orchard than they went in. And so I think that highlights the one of the more subtle advantages of having a hedgerow associated with some of these um, crops is they provide pollination services but also provide kind of health services for for bees uh, because bees cannot live on almond pollen alone you know they need 
other sources, it's like humans can't live on Twinkies alone, you know. We need other kind sources of food, and so bees are the same thing. And and having some of these um, plants like uh, sage and um, toyon, whatever, uh, just a diversity of food sources keeps the bees healthy, healthier, and I think uh, ultimately can reduce the pollination costs uh, to folks like almond growers. But, um, you know, you have to kind of experiment around with your system to see what works uh, for your particular farm's ecology. Hmm. There's a lot of food for thought. Um, I guess, yeah, I just want to thank you, Rex, for your time and lending us a bit of your knowledge on the topic of hedgerows. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening on, if you can, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information on this topic, you can contact Rex Dufour directly at rexd at ncat.org. That's R-E-X-D at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. And in the notes below, you'll find links to resources mentioned in the podcast. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at ncat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, produce to livestock, and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at ATRA's website at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week. And until then, keep on farming.